I guess we have enough people to, to, to justify two sides. We just got a lot more person in here, so. <laughs> I was going to have everyone move to one side, Greg, but I think enough people showed up eventually. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 6, John chapter 6 tonight. And I miss being with you all this morning. Um, my brother, he was getting married, and he married a Philly girl. They're not going to live in Philly. They're actually going to live in Virginia, where we're from. But my brother got married to a Philly girl in Philadelphia, so I got to stay the weekend there, hang out with a bunch of my friends and my brothers, and it was a really, really awesome and nice weekend. But I did miss being here at Emmanuel, but I'm excited about tonight. And uh, we're going to kind of just hone in on one specific topic tonight, and kind of the, it's this idea, it's kind of um, summed up in one, que- in one question, what do you want? What do you want? Um, there's, a, there's a man, that, there's this story that is told of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily by his boat. So this, this businessman sees this fisherman sitting by his boat, and it, it seems almost lazy, lazy to him. So he asks the fisherman, you know, why aren't you out there fishing when you could be, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting here being lazy. You could be out there fishing. He said, because I've caught everything I need to catch for today. I'm good to go. I've caught enough fish. I had a good morning. I don't need to be out there anymore. And he said, well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? And then he said, well, what would I do with the fish if I caught more than I need? What, what would I do with the fish that, that were extra? He said, you could earn more money. And then you can buy a better boat so you can go deeper and, and catch more fish. And then he said you could purchase better nets and you could ha- catch even more fish and make more money. And soon you'd have people on a fleet of boats that were working for you. So you build your business. And then he says, well, then what would I do? What, the fisherman asked the businessman, well, then what would I do with all this money, all this capital, all these boats and these employees and all this fish? What would I do with that? He says, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And the man said, what do you think I'm doing right now? I'm enjoying life right now. And sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. I don't know, is it the trees for the forest? I can't remember. It's the forest for the trees, I think. Forest for the trees, I think, in our lives. And that's that's kind of where Jesus is in John chapter 6. And just to give a little bit of context... So the events surrounding John chapter 6, right before, we're, we're going to be in verses 25 through 35, but in this chapter of John 6, um, you have the feeding of the 5,000, which is an amazing story, right? One of probably the most preached passages in the Bible, I would think, is um, the, the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle that Jesus did taking um, the lad with the, the two... Or, the five loaves and the two fishes, and, and he feeds the 5,000 people, and probably more than that, there's just 5,000 men, there are probably more than 5,000 people there because they would have had wives and children, and etc. So he feeds an insane amount of people with this little amount of food, and it was awesome, it's a miracle. And so then, after that, um, the people, they get excited. They say, Jesus, you know, this is awesome. This, this man, he can feed thousands and thousands of people. This guy is going to be the king that will liberate us from the Roman, um, the, the Roman dominance, the, the Roman sub, sub, subjugation. This man will be the man to be our king. And now, the Jewish people, we're going to rule over the rest of the world just like God said we would. 
And we're not going to have to be, we're not going to have to put up with other people dominating us anymore. We're, we're not going to have to have to serve other nations. Now, our king is going to be the strongest king. He's going to lead us to defeat Rome and the rest of the world. So that, that's basically what happens in John 6. And Jesus says, well, no thanks. And he leaves basically in the middle of the night and, and, and he goes across the sea. And, re, and remember what, what happens on the sea. There's a storm that comes Actually, no, he doesn't leave. He sends his disciples, excuse me. He sends his disciples across the sea. And the disciples go, and the, but the disciples are caught in a storm, right? And Jesus, in the middle of the storm, walks out to them. And in the, minute, the moment that he gets in the boat, the boat instantly materializes on the other side where they were going. Okay, and so that's, the, Jesus has performed these miracles. The people are desiring for him to do things for them. That's the context, the background of John chapter 6. And that's where we find Jesus in John chapter 6. And the people, they come across the water. And, and we're going to pick up in verse 25. They come across the water and they come to Jesus and they ask him a question. Okay, so this is the multitudes, right? This is the normal, this is not the 12 disciples. This is normal, everyday, average Joe people that were, um, they, were entered, they were interested in Jesus. Their, their, their interest was piqued by Jesus and his miracles and his new flashy message. They wanted to hear from him and he, he, was, he was a cool guy to listen to. And so that's the kind of people that we're dealing with in verse number 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath the God the Father sealed. Verse 28. Then they said unto him, they said to Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What, what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Let's pray together. God, we, we, we thank you for this opportunity we have to meet together in you. God, to fellowship ar around your word and the, your worship. God, God, to sing of you together, to encourage one another to seek you daily. And God, I pray that you would help us in this time to see you and your word. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be just going through the motions and just you know, ch checking another thing off the list this weekend so we can get started with the week tomorrow morning. But God, we, we pray that you would meet with us, that this would be a time where we desire to hear from the mouth of God. Lord, I pray that we'd be submissive to whatever your Spirit speaks to us from your Word and ask all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. All right. Jesus um, is a very unique um, teacher. Very, there is no teacher like Jesus. This question that the people ask in verse number 25, they say, when camest thou hither? It's, it's kind of like when you see somebody and they had told you that they couldn't do something with you because they had something else to do. And then you like, you're out and about and you see them doing things and you're like, well, you said you were going to be doing this thing and you kind of don't really know what to ask them. So you're kind of like, well, uh, you just come up with something random to ask them. It's, it's an awkward question. They're, they don't really ask him what they really want to ask him because they're like, well, Jesus, you were over there and then you left us without telling us you were going. So uh, it's basically like, why? They want to ask, why did you decide to leave? But they just say, well, when did you come over here? Jesus, we thought you were over there. When did you show up here? Like, what, what happened? And Jesus sees right through their, um, their pretension, their, their pretenses. Jesus, Jesus doesn't, doesn't play their game with them. Jesus is real. And we're going to cover that later on, but we need to understand that God um, always sees through our false pretenses. There's, there's no reason to be pretentious or, 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 to, or to be um, disingenuous with God. There's no reason to ever do that. And so often in my life, I see myself, you know, making excuses before God. Or just not even, I know that there's an issue in my life that if God had free reign, if, if, he, if I were to let him do what he wanted in my life, God would address that issue. But I just kind of sweep it under the rug and I just kind of go through the motions and I do my Christian thing and, and I, I you know, check off all the boxes on the list and I do all these things and I ignore the issues. And we're going to talk about this later on. But Jesus cuts straight to the point. They ask him, so Jesus, when did you come over here? Jesus answers them and says, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the, of the loaves and were filled. You want me because of the things you think I can give you. you. You are seeking me not because you honestly want to hear from me and you're honestly interested. Wait, if he's doing these things, then this man must be from God. You know, there, there were people that said, Jesus, if you can do these things, then you must be a man from God. But that's not why these people sought him. They sought him because they wanted to get things from him. And the question that we must answer for ourselves tonight is what do we really want? That's what Jesus asked them. I mean, he didn't necessarily ask them, but there's no question mark in there. But the issue Jesus addresses is what do you really want? I know you come over here saying, you, well, you, you wanted to be with me, but that's not what you really wanted. What you wanted was more bread. You wanted more magical fishes that appeared out of thin air. You wanted food to fall from the sky and you wanted me to make you big armies and do all the things that you want me to do, you didn't want to actually hear what I have to say. And the question that we must answer for ourselves is, what do we really want? Why do we do what we do? Why do we wake up every morning and, and go, th go through our daily routine? Why, why, why do we, you know, if you go to work or why, why you, you know, if you, if you have um, a family, you take care of a family or if you, if you have other responsibilities that you take care of on a daily basis, why do you do those things? Why do you come to church? 
Why, why do you spend your time worshiping with other people? Why, do you, why are you involved in the ministries at church that you're involved in? Why do you spend time with your... Why do you do what you do? Jesus cuts to the issue. These people had experienced Jesus' miraculous provision firsthand. They wanted the miracles more than the miracle maker. Is your relationship with God all about what you can get from God rather than just getting God Himself? This narrative tells us a lot about what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. It tells us a lot, a lot about <laughs> the, the, the fact that there are many who profess the name of Jesus. Many that do that. But there are few that actually know Him on an intimate level. And can I just go ahead and be a, a little blunt tonight with, with, with what we're talking about? Christianity is not about experiences. It's not about experiences. There are, you know, especially in my, in my experience, in very churched areas, people will be very excited about um, an emotional experience or they'll be very excited by what they perceive to be a miraculous experience. And that is what they cling to in their relationship with God. Their relationship with God goes no further deep than the one time they think that God saved their mom from a, a, a tragic car accident. And I, and I know that that's probably not where any of us are at tonight, but is, is your emotional, or is your relationship with God attached to emotions or emotional experience that you seek out? Do you have to have a certain feeling in order to feel like you're close to God? Because the, the, the honest truth that we find in God's Word is that that's not what our relationship with God is about. Praise God for the, the experiences that He allows us to have. Praise God for when we know that His grace is near to us and we, we actually have a sense that, you know what, I really feel like God is working in this situation. But nine times, I, I, maybe not nine times out of ten, but whatever statistic you want to pull up, most of the time, that's not how life is going to work. Life isn't going to work where we feel God in, working in our lives. R true Christianity is saying, I don't see God, I don't feel Him working in this situation, but I believe that He is because He says He is. I believe that God is working not because I have a feeling, not because I have the things that I want, not because I'm having a good experience. I believe God is working because He says He is in His Word. Jesus then goes on, He says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that, which meat, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. He draws a comparison here, right? He, he, he takes the message to show them that the things that they were desiring were not going to last. And when we try to use God as a genie in the bottle, what we are using our lives for, what we are expending the life that God has given us for, is not going to last. It's going to, in the Bible's terminology, perish. It perisheth. It, it wastes away into nothingness. The Bible talks about how this world is going to, to melt with a fervent heat. It's literally talking about how the elements that make up our existence, our physical existence in, the, in this universe, they are going to melt. The, the, you know, the, the, the um, particles that are smaller than an atom, I can't remember what they're called, 
but I'm sure there's something even smaller than that that we don't know about yet. And those very things are going to melt away and all that's going to matter is what we did for Jesus. All that's going to matter is what we're going to get to the bread of life, the meat which, which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. The only thing that will matter is Jesus. And when we use God as a genie in the bottle, when we don't even care about God at all, what we're doing is we're wasting our lives for, for things that will waste away. Jesus says, live for something that lasts forever. For us, long-lasting things are important, right? A lot of brands that we use and for any product, any tool, anything that we buy, a lot of brands, one of the major selling points is that that brand is known for being long-lasting, right? We want to have tools that last a long time. We want to have relationships that last a long time, right? Marriage is supposed to be forever, right? My brother just got married yesterday. And that's a really um, sobering experience for him, right? And, I, and even for everyone that was at the ceremony. Because we're realizing that these people are making a commitment that can't just be nullified by a whim. Or at least shouldn't be, right? It, it's something that lasts forever. something that has permanent um, consequences, and Jesus says, don't live for something that's going to be here one, one day and gone tomorrow. Don't, for, for sake of metaphor, don't live for, you know, a middle school relationship and, and the girl's going to decide she likes some other guy tomorrow. Live for a marriage kind of, a long-lasting relationship. Live for something that lasts forever. And Jesus says, you people, you don't understand. I've come to give you something. I don't want to give you things that are going to perish. Jesus says, I've got something much better for you, something that lasts forever. So then they ask Jesus another question. They say, okay, okay, Jesus, so what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Okay, this everlasting meat sounds great. This everlasting food sounds amazing. How can we acquire the everlasting food? How can we, what can we do? Jesus says, labor, right? Labor not. And he says, labor for that which, but for that which, the labor is implied. They say, what, what work can we do to get this bread, this, this meat? And I, I want to I highlight that word labor or work, the same word, right? Our, our relationship with God takes work. It takes effort. To, to, to follow Jesus takes an action. You know the difference between an active and a passive verb? The active verb, the subject is performing the action. And then the passive verb, the subject is being acted upon. Right? Um, so, Will wastes food. I wasted the food. I performed an action. Will wastes away. I am, something's happening to me, right? And so, Christianity, are following Jesus, it's an action that we must perform. It's something that we have to step out and do. It takes initiative. It's not, it's not just going to happen on its own. We, we must follow Jesus. It, it, it takes effort. I think a lot of um, the people in our church have demonstrated a testimony of hard work. I think, I think that's one thing that stands out. I've talked to people that have, have visited our church and they notice how we have a lot of people that are hard workers, people that, especially people that work with their hands. I know that's, that, that isn't necessarily um, the environment that I grew up in. It's, it's unique to me. 
to, to have a lot of people that know how to build things and fix things and all this. It, it's awesome. And I'm not saying this, but, but for any other reason than to say that um, the people in this room are highly um, capable of effort and of grit and hard work. And God, our relationship with God, knowing God and following Jesus, it takes a certain amount of grit and effort. It, it, it takes working hard. And the question becomes, what, what are we working for? What are we, what are we putting our grit into? Jesus says, labor. I love how he uses that word, labor not. It's going to take some effort to, to, to attain this bread. And not, not that we have to work for salvation. I don't mean that at all. Not, not that we can ever do anything to earn favor with God. No. But we can, we can work to experience more of God's grace. We can work to know God more. We already have a relationship with Him, but we can develop that relationship with Him. And the question becomes, are we developing, are we putting effort into knowing God? Right? Relation, I'm, I think everyone in this room would agree um, that relationships take work, right? Relationships take, and our relationship with God takes work as well. We must labor, develop a relationship with God. God. And then he tells us what this work is, that ye believe on whom he hath sent. The work is to believe what Jesus says. And almost every time I talk about faith, I like to talk about the song, Trust and Obey, and it probably will get old as, as you continue to hear me. But I love that song that says trust and obey because it connects those two words which should be connected because true faith always produces an action. True, true faith always changes something about us. When we come to believe something, it produces an action. The action might not be immediate, but at a certain time, that faith is going to produce an action. And when we really believe what Jesus said, when he, well, you know, Pastor just preached on um, the, the Sermon on the Mount, or actually I think he's still going through that series, and he just preached on, on, on the... Um, Man, the, the Beatitudes. And he said, and Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that, that do hunger and thirst for, after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. When we believe that Jesus said all those things, that he said real happiness and fulfillment in life is found in those things, that's going to change the way we live. We're going to be meek people. We're going to mourn about our sin. We're going to desire righteousness. We're going to thirst after righteousness. If we believe Jesus, we're going to do those things. And then also, Jesus said, in the same sermon, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we really believe what Jesus said, it's going to produce an obedience action. It's going to produce, I'm going to not seek after things that don't last. I'm going to seek God and his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to tell other people about Jesus. I'm going to live for the gospel. The gospel is going to dictate my finances. It's going to dictate my schedule. The gospel is going to dictate my interaction with other people. My gospel is going to dictate my interaction with my family. The gospel is going to change absolutely. It's going to change my speech. It's going to change everything. If we really believe it. And Jesus says that, that this this everlasting meat, this fulfillment, this nourishment is only found in believing Him. And when we truly believe Him, it changes the way we live. So, Jesus answers their question. 
And they, they respond in kind. They said, well, they said, therefore, unto him. So because he said this thing about believing Jesus, they say, okay, okay, Jesus, if you say that, that you're the one, you're implying very heavily, and it's very evident that you're saying that you're the one who's, who God has sent. And you're the one who's going to give us access to a relationship with God. Okay, then prove it. What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What, what dost thou work? And then they say, okay, you, you know, we want to see a sign just like our fathers. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Their ancestors ate manna, you know. When, they, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, God sent them food um, special supernatural fruit from heaven called manna, and they ate that, and they said, okay, that's how um, God showed that Moses was the right guy. So where's your sign? Where's your, where's your stuff that we're going to know that you are God's man? Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, okay, so now he's saying, okay, it's cool that that happened back then, but this is what I'm saying right now. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. So Moses wasn't even the one who did it. It was God, first of all. And second of all, my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Also, that's not even the real stuff. The manna would be cool, but it's not the one that's going to stick with you. The manna would be nice, but it's not the best kind of gift that I could give you. I could, you know, God could give you everything that you wanted. God, God could give you the car that you want, the house that you want, the, the, the family that you want, the, you know, the life that you want. God could give you the circumstances that you desire, but that's not even what you really need. What you really need is the true bread from heaven. And they show their true colors. Now they're being real. They're finally just being like, you know what? We're going to tell them what we really want. We really want them to do another miracle. We want supernatural stuff right now so we can have what we want when we want it. And I'm just going to take an aside right now. As an aside, um, they, they were being real, and I think being real is one of the most valuable things that we can do. We are very afraid to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. We are very afraid to show our true colors. And, and can, can, can I say, God's grace can't really mean anything to us until we value that grace enough to be honest with ourselves and with God. Because the reality is that, that God has an infinite amount of grace to give us. Ephesians talks about how he has exceeding abundant riches. Ephesians refers to that over and over again, how God's, God's grace is massive. It's insane. The, the amount of, rich, of, of grace that God has for us cannot be enumerated. But also the reality is that we desperately need his grace. And until we, are, until we are willing to um, admit these two realities and, and by faith accept those two realities and be honest with ourselves and honest with God, we can't access that grace. That grace isn't, isn't going, to be, it's going to mean nothing to us. We are the ones who are holding back ourselves from experiencing the grace of God. And when I say experience, I'm not necessarily talking about a feeling. I'm talking about a, a fundamental core conviction that God always has grace for me. God, 
grace is so often connected with pain. You know, Paul, Paul you know, talks about how um, he asked three times for that thorn to be removed, right? In, in Philippians, he asked three times, God, would you remove that? Would you remove that? And I, I, you know, different people interpret it different ways, but I, conf- I confidently say that I really think what, what, what Paul was, was referring to when he said that three times I beseech the Lord, I think he took three different times where he really seriously prayed. He, he took some, some time to say, God, I really think that I could serve you better if you remove this thorn. And God, I really, I, I really believe that, that if it be your will, that it would help me in my ministry. And God, if you just remove this thorn, God, please remove this thorn. I think he took three separate periods of time. And it might have been a day, a few days, a week, who knows. I, but three times the Apostle Paul did this. But at the end of it, God said, my grace is sufficient for the grace I mean, so often it's connected with pain in the Bible. And we need to realize that, yes, there's a little bit of pain in admitting and being honest with ourselves about who we really are and the mistakes that we've made. But God is always good. God is, let me put it this way, God is always gracious. Can we say that grace is always good? Even if it doesn't feel good, grace is always good. And if God is always gracious and gracious and grace is always good, then God is always good. God is always good to us. Okay, so I'm just you know taking a side note about being real. Okay, and 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 so these people finally came out. They 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 said basically, Jesus, we want you to give us another miracle. They were making demands to Jesus. They were telling Jesus how to do his job. If, if they believed that he was really the Messiah King, that God had sent to deliver his people, right? If they really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, then shouldn't the Messiah know how to do what he should do? Right? It, it wasn't about them getting pro- the prophecies fulfilled. It wasn't about God having his plan unfurled in human history. It wasn't about God's kingdom at all. It was about, I want what I want when I want it. And so often we do the same thing. We tell God how to do his job. We might not ever verbalize it audibly, but in our hearts we have this, this um, um, disposition of, God, you aren't doing things the way I thought you would. God, I didn't think I was going to be in this place at this time. I thought I was going to be doing this. And I thought I was going to be with these people. And I thought I was going to be working this job. Or I thought I was going to have this amount on my bank account. And I thought this and I thought that. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're telling God how to do His job. We're saying, God, you don't really know what I need. You don't know what's best for me. But if we really believe what God says, He, if we really believe what God says is true, God, God says, um, my, my God shall supply all your need. All your need. David said, uh, you know, I, have, I, have, I am old and I've never, I'm an old man now. I've never seen someone that is the righteous, right? Someone that knows God. I've never seen them begging bread. He said, I've never seen them go without something they didn't need. They might, <laughs> I, and I think what, what it comes down to is we have to redefine what we need. We have to understand that what we need is, is not what we think we need. Do you think Christians have ever gone without a meal? I think they have. And it's not because they couldn't find a good place to eat. It's because they didn't have money. We have to redefine the word need. And basically, all that we can put with that word need is God. 
Because Jesus says that's all we really need. They were trying to trust God on their terms. And the funny thing is, they already had a sign. These people had followed him across the sea, right? Because they had seen him with the bread and the fish. They saw him feed, you know, probably over 10,000 people. So why are they asking for another sign? Because it's not about figuring out if Jesus really is the Son of God. It's not about finding the true Messiah. It's not about hearing from God. It's about getting what they wanted. And for us, what is it really about? What do I really want? Am I willing to put it all on the line and say, God, these are the things that I have. These are the things that I want. But God, the, the, the only thing that matters is you that I have. The only thing I have that matters is you. And I pray that you'd help me to only want that ultimately as well. Jesus' response in 30, 32 and 33, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that, that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. I am what you need. Then they say to Jesus, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus, okay, Master. And the, that word Lord, it means Master. They then say, Master, I, I don't know why they're saying this. They're being phonies again. Right? They're, they're, they're calling Jesus Master. And later on in the passage, they reveal that Jesus really isn't their Master because they stop following and the multitudes leave. So they're faking once again, and they say, give us this bread of life. Jesus says, okay, here it is. Here's the bread. Right here. I am the bread of life. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, but he that believeth on me, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the only thing that satisfies. If you, want, if you want something that matters, I am it. There is nothing else that really matters. There's nothing else that's going to last. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the only thing that can matter to us. And we have to decide, are we really going to believe it? Right? And when I say believe it, I'm not talking about how I, almost everyone in this county would probably say, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Right? Almost everyone, I, I don't know what the statistic would be, but it, it, it might be like 60, upper 60%, probably 70-something percent, people would say, I believe in Jesus. But if, you, if we really saw that, I think that this county would look a little bit different. Right? And I, I think we could say it's something the same about the rest of the South. If, 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 the, if all those people that said, I believe in Jesus, really believed in him, if, if they really believed to the point where it produces action, to, to the point where it, that trust is combined with the obedience that is necessary, when we really believe, I think it changes things, right? And if everyone, you know, 75 whatever percent in, in, in Baldwin County, if, if that were really true, I think this county would look a little bit different. 
And if we really believe that, personally, the individuals in this room, if we really believe that, how different would our lives work look? How, how different would tomorrow be if we really believed Jesus? And can I say this? I've, Pastor Phil says it all the time. <laughs> and I, I think I'm the one who said it first. I don't know. <laughs> he, he never credits me when he says it. He always says it on Sunday morning, and I'll never get to say it on Sunday morning. But I, Christianity, the Christian life, walking with God, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. I understand you know, that it's a, it's a hard question to ask yourself, how different would my life look if I really believed Jesus? Right? I don't, I don't think I can get... I, I, actually, I would say I know I can't get to a point where there will never be any... There will never be um, no changes that need to be made. There will always be changes in my life that need to be made. I understand that. But the purpose of God telling us this and His Word and Him saying kind of the same things. God says the same things a lot of the time, Right? Jesus says to follow him a bunch of times in the Gospels. Why over and over and over again? Because we forget. And this is a reminder to us that Jesus is the only thing that can matter in our lives. The the only thing that can ultimately matter must be Jesus. These people, these these Jewish people, they were were not looking for a, a... a spiritual king, right? They were looking for a material king. They were wanting someone to ride in on, on, a, on a white stallion, ride in there with a sword in his hand and raise high and lead them in a charge to destroy Rome. You know, and, you know go all the way to Italy and, and take down Caesar and they were going to set up a kingdom in Jerusalem, and he was going to reign over them, and now the Jewish people were going to be in charge. That's the kind of king that they they wanted, a material king and not a spiritual one. And so often in my life, I find that I want a material God, little G-O-D, and not a spiritual one. I'm, I'm wanting a God that's going to give me the job that I want, the, the life that I want, the family that I want, the, you know, the wife that I want, the kids that I want, you know, the, the ministry that I want. I want God, a God that's going to give me all those circumstances. But if you look at the Old Testament, that's the kind of gods that the pagans wanted. The pagans had gods for everything. You know why they had gods for everything? Because they had one God that was going to make their crops grow. And they had one God that was going to make the women fertile and the, and the cattle fertile. And they had one God that, that, that was going to give them money. They had one God that was going to make them healthy. But the Jews had a God that said, trust me. Follow me. And that is the same God that Jesus is to us today. And we must decide whether we want a material God or we want a spiritual one. God is definitely the master of the material. God is definitely sovereign over everything. If God wanted to, He could give us the circumstances that we desire. But God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not going to reward us with a cookie for doing good things and for going to church on Sunday. God is looking to give us true satisfaction. The everlasting meat or, or food that, that he offers to us. He knows what is best for us and that is what he offers. And the king that we have now is a spiritual one. One that rules over our hearts and must, must rule sovereign. We, 
over the rest of our lives, we must submit our hearts and everything that we have to Him. What do you want? You know, in, in John 4, Jesus is talking to the, uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And he, they're going back and forth. And in, in the middle of the conversation, it, it has the same meaning there in that context. He, Jesus says to them, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What he's saying is that the, the incidentals are irrelevant. What matters is that you worship God in your spirit, that you are devoted to Him. And you realize that there's a spiritual aspect to your life. That's your relationship with God. And God cares about every decision that we make. And we must decide to get worship. That's what worship means. It's God is worth so much that we give everything to Him. That's what worship is. And we must decide to worship God in spirit and in truth. Totally with everything that we have, we must worship Him. What do you want? Let's pray together. God, I, I, I thank you so much for your word and how you speak to us. Lord, you're so good. God, the gospel isn't... the. The faith in the gospel is, isn't just for salvation, God. You don't just leave us here to figure out life and kind of you know, w- wait until we go to heaven. God, you've given us the gospel so it can change us and, all, Lord, also change others. Lord, you, you, you sent Jesus to die on the cross and you raised him from the, from the dead to give us not just eternal life, but, God, abundant life. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to desire the true bread from heaven. Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from, from, from the fake stuff, from the stuff that's going to burn up, from, from the superficial. Lord, help us to seek that which is internal by pursuing you with everything that we have, with ultimate devotion. Lord, I pray that you'd give us grace for this. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are out early. But... Um, Pray for the the Rogers as they're traveling this week. They will be back later this week. Thank you much for being here. You're dismissed.